In high school, I ran with the nerds. Uh, there were roughly, there were roughly 15 of us. It was the valedictorian, the salutatorian, and basically number two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, all the way to 15 of my high school class. And Melissa was one of us. She was one of the 15 nerds. Uh, she was a flute player. Uh, in band, so that also made her a band nerd. And uh, she had, like the rest of us, like a 3.99678, you know, whatever, or however that calculates out. Um, but the thing about Melissa that made her different is that she was also beautiful and multilingual me or multicultural, meaning she didn't just hang with us nerds. She could walk into the world of football and can be completely accepted. She was a cheerleader, sophomore and junior year. Like, so she kind of defied all of the lines and the stereotypes that we had in high school. And we were all floored junior year when she was named homecoming queen. A nerd, woo, that's homecoming queen. Like we were so excited for Melissa and us because you know we felt like we had earned homecoming queen status too with her and that we were gonna go mainstream now, right? You know, and she had a boyfriend that she got that year who was on the football team, Jason. Jason was not part of our crowd. And so we were always, you know, uh, and we all did our things that we did over the summer. And when we came back that fall, Melissa was noticeably pregnant. And this was back in the 1980s where that was still a huge stigma. And the school went to her and said, yeah, you can't be at homecoming and you cannot pass on your crown. Uh, and it was just a huge, huge, devastating thing for her. And um, she wanted her whole career path was, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to go to medical school, and I'm going to be a surgeon. And she wanted to be a heart surgeon because she had had an uncle who had had heart issues. And, and so she had the baby sometime around Christmas. And because of that, she didn't uh, do second semester senior year. So when all of us, kudos to Melissa, when all of us were in college our first year, she finished up and she graduated but she never went to college and she never went to medical school. Potential alone does not guarantee future success. Potential alone does not guarantee future success. One of my friends, Dave, Dave could play any instrument, banjo, guitar, auto harp. He could rock the auto harp like no tomorrow. I mean, anybody could really rock the auto harp, but Dave could do it in a way that just made you excited and also really weirded out. Um, and so, but the thing about Dave is he's great at parties, but he never mastered any of those instruments. In, in some ways, he didn't live up to his potential. Uh, some of you who sport, I, I fully recognize that I don't sport, okay? I say, but for some of you who sport and sport well, you've had friends who had a bucket load of natural talent and they got on the team and you got better, the team got better, but they didn't. They didn't live up to their potential. Um, how many of you remember, how many of you are high school graduates High school graduates, okay. Many of you, high school, it's good, it's good. Um, um, America's, whew, better off, okay, okay. So let me ask you a question, like, 
Do you remember the person who is voted most likely to succeed? Remember, one of the things you do as a senior year, there's always somebody who's voted most likely to succeed. Everybody's looking around, I have no clue, who is that person? Like, here's the thing. Most of the time, the people who earn that vote and get that picture in the yearbook, it, that's all. It never amounts to anything down the road. The thing is, potential alone does not guarantee future success. Um, of all the people in the Bible, Samson is the person who had the greatest potential. He had a great start. He had great potential. His birth was announced by the angel of the Lord himself, and he was given supernatural strength. Samson was an ancient superman. Now, this is the picture that they always have of Samson. The guy is always depicted as a hoss, muscular and ripped and strong and virile and all that other stuff. If that were the case, then the Philistines would have known why he was strong. They would have been like, oh, Andre the Giant, he can pick up a giant rock and smash it, easy. Duh, no, Samson's strength was a secret. No one knew how he could be that strong. Samson was the original Clark Kent. Why do you think the Philistines are like, how can he do that? I mean, no offense, but if, if Josh Lanier or I or Brian Tompkins went out right now and lifted the tippy van, you all would be like, what? What? You would be amazed. How did he do that, right? Because looking at us, you wouldn't assume that we could lift that giant van, okay? That's what Samson was, okay? Now, Samson was one of the tribal leaders that are, that are, whose stories are recorded in the book of Judges. And uh, a Wheaton prof named Daniel Block says, man, this book is named wrong. Because in America, we hear the word judge and we think robe and court. And so really, if for English purposes, because we all speak English here mostly, um, it would be better if we called this the book of tribal leaders or the book of chieftains because these people were tribal leaders at a time in Israel's history when Dan, the tribe of Dan did its own thing, the tribe of Manasseh kind of did its own thing and sometimes they would get together as woo, Israel and then most of the time not really and so these tribal leaders would rise up and Samson was one of these tribal leaders. Now, a tribal leader had two responsibilities. They had to be a deliverer. They had to deliver Israel from a foreign oppressor. And they had to be a change agent. They had to be somebody who would spur the people back into a proper relationship with God. But the people were stuck in this cycle. Remember this from last week? They were stuck in this cycle. What if we did this like every week for like two years? You'd be like. <laughs> I'm stuck in a temporal time loop. This is Star Trek gone wrong, okay? And so that's what they lived out. They would sin, uh, a foreign Canaanite uh, tribe would oppress them. Uh, it would get so bad that they would be like, this is terrible, God, this whole situation is terrible, save us. And then God would raise up a deliverer. The deliverer would deliver and there would be peace and then they would sin and then, and, you know, it's just this endless cycle. And in the book of Judges, Every time the cycle repeats, the tribal leader is worse. The sin is worse. It just gets worse and worse and worse. 
Samson, who is the last chieftain of all these chieftains, is the worst of the bunch. So for those of you that may fall asleep today, I just want to remind you, this is the point I'm trying to make. God is stronger than you or your potential. Oh, man, God is stronger than you or your potential. And that's really good news. If you brought a paper Bible, we're going to be in the book of Judges, chapter 13. And we're going to look into the early life of Samson, actually his birth narrative, which is in Judges, chapter 13. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines, who oppressed them for 40 years. Now, there are a number of clues in chapter 13 that tell us that things are bad and that the story of Samson isn't going to end well. The first is the fact that this oppression lasts 40 years. It's the longest period of oppression recorded in the book of Judges. Another thing is barrenness comes up twice in this chapter 13. And then the angel of the Lord has to mention the dietary restrictions that that Samson has to live by three different times because mom and dad are like, what? Now he can't have what again? And, you know, and they don't know. They don't even know the Mosaic Levitical law. And so let's keep going. Judges 13, verses 2 and following. In those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant, and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, even though you've been unable to have children, you'll soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink or eat any forbidden food. You'll become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut, for he'll be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from his birth. He'll begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. The woman ran and told her husband, a man of God appeared to me. He looked like one of God's angels, terrifying to see. I didn't ask where he was from, and he didn't tell me his name, but he told me, you'll become pregnant and give birth to a son. Don't drink wine or alcoholic drink or eat any forbidden food, for your son will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from the moment of his birth until the day of his death. Now, the angel of the Lord makes two predictions. The first prediction is that uh, a barren wife will have a son. The second prediction is that he will begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines, an action speaking to potential that isn't fully realized. Now, this baby boy is to be Nazir, dedicated, a Nazarite. Nazir means dedicated. And there were certain specific rules about that. You couldn't drink wine. You couldn't cut your hair. Uh, there were certain things you couldn't eat. If anything was dead, a damn animal, a dead person, you can't touch it. There's all these rules and, and regulations for someone who has taken a vow of Nazir. Samson violates these rules all throughout his life. There's a, he decides he wants to marry a woman who's, guess what, a Philistine and has a drunken party the night before the wedding. Uh, he kills a lion with his bare hands, comes back later and touches the carcass of the lion to, to get out some honey that bees have made in the, in the bones of the lion. So he's touching a damn animal. So time and time and time again, Samson really doesn't care about these rules that he's supposed to follow. He's apathetic toward them. Well, let's go on, verses 8 
to the end of the chapter. Manoah prayed to the Lord saying, Lord, please let the man of God come back to us and give us more instructions about the son who's to, to be born. And this is wonderful. Was, was not the wife clear? Okay, and so God answered Manoah's prayer and the angel of God appeared once again to his wife and she was sitting in the field but her husband Manoah was not with her. So he quickly, she quickly ran and told her husband, the man who appeared to me the other day is here again. Manoah ran back with his wife and asked, are you the man who spoke with my wife? Yes, I am. So Manoah asked him, when your words come true, what kind of rules should govern the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord replied, be sure your wife follows the instructions I gave her. She must not eat grapes or raisins or drink wine of any other alcoholic drink or eat any forbidden food. And then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please stay here so we can prepare a young goat for you to eat. I will stay, says the angel of the Lord, but I will not eat anything. However, you may prepare me a burnt offering as a sacrifice to the Lord. Manoah didn't realize it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah asked the angel of the Lord, what's your name for when all this comes true, we wanna honor you. Why do you ask my name? It's too wonderful for you to understand, the angel of the Lord said. Now there's several things going on in this passage. This isn't just any angel, this is the angel of the Lord. But Samson's parents treat him like any other Near Eastern deity. Um, so the way it worked with some of the other Canaanite nations who would worship Baal and some of these other deities, um, if you showed hospitality to the deity, the deity owed you something. If you could name the deity, you had kind of a little bit of power or leverage and the deity would have to do something for you. So Samson's parents aren't acting like Israelites, people of Yahweh, they're acting like Canaanites in how they respond to the angel of the Lord. And, and what does the angel of the Lord say? Oh, I'll stay, but I'm not eating your food. In other words, you don't got anything on me. My name, you're not getting my name either you're not in control of this situation. That's a good thing for us to remember. Manoah, Manoah and his wife weren't in control. You and I aren't in control. And so at the end of this birth narrative, uh, Manoah's wife and Manoah named their son, and that's verses 24. When her son was born, she named him Samson, and the Lord blessed him as he grew up, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him where he lived in Mahendan Dan, which is located between the towns of Zorah and Eshtaol. So Samson, Shimshon, is very close to Shemesh, which is the Hebrew word for son. Some commentators will make a big deal and they'll say, oh, this is more you know, Canaanite stuff going on. I sometimes wonder, I've, I've prayed for so many women who couldn't conceive. I, and, I, and I've prayed and prayed and hoped with them. And it's, it's a dark place to be. It's so much so, more so in this culture. And you find out you're pregnant and you're gonna have a baby, the sun has come out, there's hope. It's a good thing, it's a good day. And so Samson is named Shimshon, right? Now, Samson doesn't live up to his name and he doesn't live up to his potential and he certainly doesn't live up to the fact that the spirit of the Lord began. Notice every time it's talking about Samson in this book, it's qualifying it with this word right here, began. In other words, it didn't finish out strong, right? Here's some, some of Samson's flaws listed in chapter 16. He's lustful. 
Uh, he's the guy in the Bible that says, Father, get her for me. He sees a woman. He's like, I want that one. Get her for me. Uh, he's apathetic. There are these rules he's supposed to follow. <sighs> Doesn't matter. Um, he's foolish. He's selfish. Every time along the way, he's not concerned about the way in which his people are being oppressed. He's concerned about himself, his image, what people think of him, how they've wronged him, and he's vengeful because of it. Well, Samson marries a Philistine woman who is part of the uh, 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 people who are oppressing Israel. He also enters into an ongoing relationship with Delilah. And the Hebrew word Layla is night. I think there's some play going on here. Sun and night, right? There's a lot of symbolism playing out in the story, okay? Well, in the end, Delilah gets Samson to tell him the secret of his strength. It's his hair. And she has his hair cut and shaved, and she sells him out to the Philistines. He's arrested, let off in chains. His eyes are gouged out. In captivity, enough hair grows back that allows him the strength to do the push the pillars. For the longest time, people would be like, that's impossible, nobody could do that, blah, blah, blah. Well, look, this is from Tel Kassir. Uh, this is a Philistine architecture. Apparently, the Philistines had a thing about building buildings where they would have wooden beams supported by these stone supports and those two wooden beams bore the weight of the roof. If you remove one or two of the beams, it's done. The whole thing's coming down. So now we know from history that it's possible <laughs> that somebody could do something like this. God is stronger than you or your potential. God is stronger than me or my potential. We see that in the life of Samson. The, the hero in the Samson story isn't Samson. The hero in the Samson story is God. So let me ask a question. Actually, I wanna ask several. I think good preaching leads to just good questions, not a bunch of stuff or principles. What happens in your life when you trust yourself more than you trust God? What happens in your life? I wish young people, you could see some of the older people, the looks on their faces right now. It's a look of, man, I walked down that path and it hurts. It really hurts. <laughs> what happens in your life when you trust yourself more than you trust God? And then how would you, <laughs> everything works better with smiley faces. How would you rate your enthusiasm for Jesus and the things he cares about? One would be, eh. Five would be, I'm on fire, okay? Where, where would you be in that continuum? And if somebody with you know, the glasses were to come and do an audit of where your money's gone and your calendar and all that stuff and all your actions of the past six months, would they concur with the assessment? So how can you and I, in a sense, avoid some of the pitfalls of Samson but walk out this reality that God is stronger than us and stronger than our potential. One is to take a risk and get involved. One of the biggest things blighting the people of Israel at this time is apathy. Nobody cared. Eh, eh. Now, you may think otherwise, and there are lots of people trying to good do good things in the world today, but 
I kayak and hike all around the place and we're littering this place like no tomorrow. Like I see apathy everywhere I go. I'm also a glass half empty, but like, you know, apathy's a problem. And when you get involved, when you take a risk, it provides an opportunity for passion to well up in you. I have passion about a couple of things. I have passion right now for public school teachers. Wanna know why? Because I'm married to one. I see what they do. I know what teacher crap is stored in my house. I know how much we buy. I know what she does. Okay, and so I'm passionate about teachers because I've, I've been neck deep in it for now almost 30 years. The other thing I'm passionate about is what we do here at Generations. Like I know so many parents that are just obsessed about raising their kids up so that their kids can live a good life. And I'm like, no, it's not just about living the good life, it's about loving God and being good. Like there's a difference, okay? And so there's some passion and fire in there for that. So take a risk, get involved. Maybe for you it's something different, okay? But take a risk. The second thing is, if you're a student or a younger person, take responsibility for something or someone other than yourself. The biggest thing about Samson is he didn't care about his own people. He only cared about himself. And he had all this potential. What could he have been with that kind of strength if, like David, he had had a heart after God? What kind of leader would he have been then, right? The third thing is being used of God is not the same thing as being right with God. Now the good news is Samson's listed among the heroes of faith in, in Hebrews chapter 11. So if there's room for Samson, there's room for Max Vanderpool, and there's room for you. Woohoo! Thank you, God, you're awesome. <laughs> okay, giving us again what we don't deserve. But there's nowhere in the Bible where we're told to be like Samson, or where we're told that Samson had a heart after God. The last thing is simply don't squander your potential. You gotta stay hungry and teachable, in my experience. I believe America of 2018 bears a lot of similarities to the time of the judges. When I look at this passage and when I read what was going on in that time period, I'm like, uh, there's several things. We seem to be stuck in a repeating cycle. I don't know if you've noticed, <laughs> like politically, socially, like economically, you know, it's like, oh, we're here again? It seems like we were just here 20 years ago. Yep, we're here again, repeat, off we go, okay. The other thing is everyone seems to do what's right in their own eyes. And another thing, apathy seems to be a thing. Eh, eh, meh. <laughs> Let's all get shirts that say, meh, <laughs> right? I've told this story before, but we see the Jessamine County Food Pantry that exists today. Um, it's storefront, it's open three days a week, it's serving four or 500 households a, uh, a month. There was a day and a time when it looked like that thing would close down. And there was a high school student named Megan uh, she was a West Jesmond High School student, and she was like, there are hungry people in this community, and we cannot do nothing. Doing nothing is not an option. And she kept going after her mom. Ramona, come on, mom. She didn't call it that Ramona's her name. Mom, we've got to do something. we got to do something. We can't let these hungry people go hungry. <sighs> and her mom did not lack for things to do. She didn't. And yet, because Megan would just not relent, would not give up and would bring her friends, I'll bring my friends, but we're gonna do this. We're gonna have food again this month. 
we can't not do a food distribution. And so she had passion and God used her. And if Megan were here today, she would say, God is so much stronger than what I did or I could have done. And God is so much stronger than what you could do or your potential if you'll just say yes and let him do what he wants to do.